Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 115. In today's show, we'll be talking all about how to be a better boss using the frameworks from the book Multipliers by Liz Wiseman and Greg McKeown. We're going to talk about the key elements that define the difference between good leaders that can make any team flourish and bad leaders, or known as diminishers, who can drain the team of all of its energy and drive. Through the lens of the frameworks in Multipliers, we're going to analyze what the best bosses do to bring out the best in their teams. And we're going to talk about things that you can do right now to change behavior in your team, to adopt an attitude of success, and to take your company exactly where you want to go. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Shai. Craig, today we're going to talk about one of my most favorite and most challenging topics, how to be a better boss. And as a framework for this, we're going to use the book Multipliers. This is a classic Wall Street Journal bestseller, of course, written by Liz Wiseman with Greg McKeown. And this talks about how the best leaders make everyone smarter. And Craig, you know, I myself have gone through the experience of being a horrible boss as I learned how to try to lead teams. And so I've I've been reading about this, studying this for probably 20 years at least now. And I've been on this journey to be a better boss the whole time and be a better leader. And it's something you have to work at every day. And in thinking back on it, I learned a lot from some of the worst bosses I ever had. Can you tell me maybe one of the worst bosses you ever had? Oh, this goes way back. Yeah, it's amazing how being a great boss is something that can be learned and achieved today. Whereas going decades back, it was the lead horse became the boss. Whether you were capable, trained, had any knowledge or anything, it's just that you were the one because you were the next in grade or you had the highest degree, or they couldn't afford to lose you and they promoted you, right? So I remember out of college, the first job, this is in computer science sector, systems analyst work. And the first boss I had was not the one that hired me, but turned out to be my boss. And he was an engineer that was promoted. And anybody that wasn't an engineering degree, I was computer science at the time, was just worthless. Mm-hmm. No matter how you graduated in your class, no matter how what your abilities were, you were not an engineer. So his whole motive was to degrade anybody around him that was not an engineer. And it was a bit entertaining because this guy didn't have the strongest background as far as traveling the world or any of that. It was just a local kid who grew up wrong, <laughs> if you will. And was just terrible to be around. It's one of those that you don't look forward to being around or interacting with or asking them any questions or anything like that. So that was the worst. How about for you? Oh, God. So many bad bosses, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, setting these great examples of what not to do. You know, one that comes to mind is I remember when I was waiting tables at an Italian restaurant in my hometown. And, you know, this also encompasses some of the challenges with a family business and that kind of dynamic. Mm -hmm. Because what had happened was the woman that was sort of the maitre d' had married one of the brothers that opened the restaurant, right? Uh So she was sort of the boss's wife. 
Yep. And actually, I got to give her a little credit in hindsight, because you got to remember how hard that is, right? When you are the boss's spouse, you're carrying that around all the time. So, you know, just to get the other employees to give you a chance in the role that you're in professionally can sometimes be a challenge because they're always looking at you as that influencer. So that's a problem right there that anyone would have to overcome. But she brought plenty of her own problems to the table. And it was the same thing. You know, it was like she was always putting you down. And the worst thing that she used to do is she would, when the regular guests would come in, of course, you know, she would assign the tables to the different wait staff. And what she would do is she knew who the best tippers were. And when those people came in, she would take those tables herself so that she would get cash tips. And she would take those tips and she didn't even share them with the rest of the staff. Yeah. I mean, it was degrading. So again, you know, think about it through the mind of the employee. So we're thinking, wow, this woman already gets the benefit of being effectively an owner in the restaurant. And she's also taking cash tips out of our pockets. What is that about? That was really frustrating. It might be the determination of executive privilege. It's like you weren't supposed to notice. Well, it's definitely an ethics problem, right? <laughs> if not if not like a level one moral dilemma, mm-hmm. and maybe she just saw it as protecting the best customers. I don't know, but it made her a horrible boss. And I think this is the point. And so some of the things that make you very good as an employee can inadvertently make you a really bad boss. Yeah. And so I think it's a journey that most of us have to take when we transition from our first positions as someone that's delivering product to someone that's leading others that deliver product. Yeah, that individual contributor status and moving into the manager status or leader status. And there's so little training in the past, it's much, much better now. We understand the basis and the foundations and the elements that are required, but it wasn't so true in the past. So it's much better today, but we occasionally still get these amazingly low quality bosses into the system, whether it be family operations or whether it be a a dysfunctional business in itself. Can we get better? When we look at Liz's book and we look at some of her titling and capturing some of this, where should we start? So this is why I really love this book, because like other great authors and thought leaders, what Wiseman does here is she gives us some language and some ways of thinking about it and frameworks that we can use for ourselves as we think about our journey as we're trying to become better leaders. And the kind of bosses and experiences that you and I described, for instance, uh, she would categorize a bad boss as a diminisher. And a diminisher, in short, is someone that just completely depletes your energy and motivation and the other things that would make you a great worker. Yeah, just taking the lifeblood out of you. And she mentions you're working for a diminisher when you really don't want to come to work the next day and have to deal with this person. (laughs) That that visualizes, you know, people's faces come into your mind. You you know, yeah, it's so true. My my dad used to have this saying that loosely translated to English is they smash away your desire to live. I mean, that's a little hardcore, but it always makes me laugh because it's such a strong saying. It's like they take away your will to get up and go to work in the morning. And like you were saying, it's all about them. They're really focused on their promotion. They're really focused on their dominance, unfortunately. Yeah, but this is what I'm talking about. This is why I think it's one of those cases of what got you here won't get you there. 
Mm-hmm. So frequently what happens is we become really good at something and we're very internal focused, right? Because we've been promoted because we're good at getting things done. And that typically is a lot of your own internal focus. And now you're promoted and you've had this mindset that's very you focused. And now you have to change that completely. So almost all of us start out as a diminisher, whether that's intended or non-intended. And so much of it has started from the highest levels within the business. If you have a diminisher at the top levels of the company that filters down as the style of management and bosses throughout the business. So the leadership from above really sets the tone for the rest of the organizational structure. And if you've got the flip side, well, the opposite of a diminisher would be the multiplier, as Liz says. It sets the tone for the whole infrastructure and leadership within the business. So let's talk about the multiplier on the plus side. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, multipliers actually do the opposite of this, right? They increase the intelligence and achievements of their whole team. I mean, there's so many great examples. I can think of some great people that I've worked with. You know, there's always that one person in the workplace or maybe those two people that just completely transform the way a team functions. Yeah, and their teams are noted throughout the business, throughout the company. Their teams and the people that they lead are just the best. And the other criteria that I love is everybody would love to work for them. And why is that? Well, I think the reason why in Wiseman's research, again, is really just a mindset and a focus. Like their orientation is toward how to increase the capabilities of everybody else on the team. You know, she gives this great example of the legendary basketball player, Magic Johnson, right? So, you know, when he was young and upcoming star, his high school coach always made sure the other players on his team would pass the ball to Magic so he could score. And of course, they won a lot of games. But when the games were over, he could see that the other team members just didn't feel as engaged. And even that their parents weren't that thrilled about it either. <laughs> but he made a choice around this. And he, he decided that he would use his skills to help everyone on the team get better. And that's how he earned his nickname, because he magically had this ability to raise the level of everyone on his team. And you could feel the energy of that team. The talent was distributed. He recognized that each individual had talent and had skills and uniqueness. And he emphasized that. And it was magic. Yeah. Duplicated later on, um, we started seeing more and more of this type of behavior in teams not only on the athletic fields, but within businesses. We see so many examples of this. And these people that have this attitude, they build trust in their team because they give that team the ability to rise. So if you're Magic Johnson and you pass the ball to somebody else for them to take a shot and they make the shot, they now feel like, hey, you trusted me. You gave me the ball and I did it. And now their confidence is going to rise and the likelihood of them making the next shot goes up, right? And the same thing happens in business. Craig, you know, frequently in my talks on leadership, I bring a lot of my aviation background into it. And there's so many studies in aviation where things could have gone really horribly. Obviously, I think a Sully Sullenberg comes to mind and, and his incredible, they called it Miracle on the Hudson, you know, losing both engines after takeoff and then being able to bring that airplane from a height of 2,000 feet to turn left and get that thing safely onto the water of all places and have everybody walk off that aircraft is incredible. But if you look at the elements of Sully's leadership and you look at his background, Sully was a multiplier. Sully knew how to set the right tone, how to make people feel engaged, how to trust people. 
And because he did that, he was able to execute with calm and confidence and had an outcome that could have easily been completely tragic. He's one of the humblest people I've ever heard speak. He's impressive. He knows his capabilities, and he also really trusts and empowers the people that work with him, like even his co-pilot. So there's always a co-pilot with some of these major business leaders and these bosses. And even their co-pilots are managed by them to have the same traits. As a multiplier, they're looking for everyone on the team to have strengths and really going in there and finding out what that team's strengths are individually and focus on those strengths to make sure everyone else on the team knows each other's particular strengths and capabilities. And how can they grow and synergize all of these strengths to be a very strong team? And if you're not harnessing that, you're wasting tremendous volumes of energy and capacity and talent. Taking back just for a second, one of the things I used to teach years ago in the scouting system was survival for explorers and the older scouts. And the challenge was is to see how many times they died, you know, based on their decision making. <laughs> right. And the one that died the least was actually the winning team. But the first exercise just really drew this out as far as what's the first thing you do when you are stuck. In this case, you know, airplane lands in the jungle. And now what? You've got your team. And what are you going to do first? And rarely, I think I had one time in all the classes I taught through the years, rarely did I get one team that would start out right. And that first start out was auditing the talent and capacities and the resources of the team. So many of them didn't realize that they had a doctor, that they had a survivalist, they had this expert, a former Marine or whatever. They didn't realize they had any of those people until halfway through the game. Whereas the best ones discovered that early. They really needed to audit who they have and emphasize making sure all the other individuals know the talents of the other team members. But the leader never takes the lead from the standpoint of being the best. They're always supporting. They're always drawing on the strengths of the team and focusing and growing the individual team skills and harnessing the synergy. So these, I love the fact that she's using this as a multiplier and titling it a multiplier because it really becomes amazing strength when it's done right. And it's such a great example. It's such a great example. And, you know, when you think about it, half the population identifies as being introverted or having characteristics of being more introverted than not. So if you're a person that's shy or quiet in nature, guess what? You could be harboring incredible talent. <laughs> and if you have a more dominant leader on your team and they don't ask, they're never going to know, you know, and you're just wasting that. You're just wasting it right there. You remind me of United Flight 232, Alan Haynes, Captain Haynes. This was a flight that would have had just a catastrophic outcome. It was on a DC-10 and the engine in the tail exploded during flight and they lost all of their hydraulic systems. And one of the things that happened as they were struggling to get control over the plane is the lead flight attendant came up and said, you know, Captain Haynes, there's another pilot in the back and he said he'd like to come up. Now think about how chaotic this must have been. You know, they're trying to get control of the aircraft. It's not literally falling out of the sky, but they're having trouble flying it because they've just had some failure. There's alarms and bells and whistles going up in the flight deck. You can imagine the people are getting nervous. 
you can imagine the lead flight attendant is probably wondering what's going on. But she comes up and says, Captain Haynes, there's another pilot in back. He says that he's here if you want some help. And Captain Haynes says, send him up. (laughs) Which, by the way, in and of itself, I can tell you, having trained a lot of airline captains, that is not their first instinct. (laughs) That is not their first instinct. So the pilot comes up and he introduces them to the other members on the flight deck. At that time, there was actually three pilots on the flight deck of a DC-10. So now we're bringing a fourth in. Well, Captain Haynes says hello, shakes his hand, introduces him to the other guys as they're dealing with this emergency, immediately makes him a team member. And then it guess what? It turns out that this guy was a Czech airman on the DC-10. And so what that means for our listeners is this is the person that qualifies other pilots to be able to fly that aircraft. So he had a lot of experience, probably more experience than anybody in that flight deck about how to train people specifically on this aircraft. And this guy becomes instrumental on getting this airplane onto the ground. People would have given a very small likelihood of success. And, you know, some people died in that accident, but they managed to save almost 200. And it has gone down in history as one of the premier examples of leadership and crew coordination and being able to use talent and bring out the best and talented team to have just an incredible result when all of the odds are against you. It's an amazing example. Totally agree. I was reading a Forbes article on this topic, and they used an example that was really insightful in that, you know, a great boss is playing a game of chess, not checkers. And in checkers, all of the players are the same, pretty much. You can have a king, if you will. But is pretty straightforward and everybody's marginalized are pretty much the same. Whereas in chess, every player has uniqueness to it. And so he's playing a chess game because he knows all of the people on the team are unique players and have unique attributes. So it's another example of the ability to have the multiplier effect and to pull in the right talent, to allow them the ability to be inspired by the workplace. I love this idea, Craig, that you're talking about, right? Because this, again, is how the job changes. And business owners, we all come from somewhere. And we were all working somewhere before we started our business, right? So we have to shift our mindset to recognize what are the things that we have to be great at. And one of those things is bringing talent together and becoming a magnet for really great talent, right? So this is like you get to design your chessboard. You get to design the players, and how they move. So what would that optimal chessboard look like? And Wiseman, again, labels this. This is the talent magnet, right? This is someone who has the ability to bring together an outstanding team. And she talks about some key practices. Yeah, she labels that the talent magnet. And I love that, that title to it because they're always looking for talent within their group and outside their group. And the talent is not necessarily traditional. But looking for talent and looking for individual skills that can be utilized within the team and how they accentuate and how they augment the team and making sure that their skill is engaged where best suited so that every team member feels like they've got something special and they're bringing something of value and they're responsible for something and they're held accountable for having that special skill or talent and capability to bring to the team. And finally, when you're bringing in that talent, you got to make sure that there's not obstacles that are standing in their way. That's part of being the boss, to be out front, to predict 
What's going to get in the way of my team from performing at their optimum? Yeah. Jim Collins would call this having people in the right seats on the bus, right? First getting the right players on the bus and then making sure you're setting them up for success. And I think the other piece is, of course, making sure the bus is well maintained, that there's gas on the bus, that the registration is not going to expire, that the tires are checked. That's your problem. You got to make sure that the bus is in great shape. But getting those people into the right seats and getting everything out of their way so that they have the best chance to excel. But again, it's a focus shift. It's a shift in orientation. It's not about you. It's about your ability to put these people in place to succeed. And one of the key ones that I like that's really a tough one for a lot of bosses is creating an environment where they can make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes as long as they learn from them. So they need that space to be able to feel like they're going to be supported. Even if they might go down the wrong path, they can recover quickly and they can move forward rather than covering up a mistake that leads to further problems. But being a liberator, creating an environment that excels your organization. We've been talking about the goodness about the multiplier, but there's a a couple of things on the other side, the bad boss, if you will, the diminisher who takes things down and titles that she uses being the tyrant and the decision maker, always stifling creation and creating tension and only being that decision maker, being their decision maker and not letting the group be involved. That brings up her side of example being the challenger. Yeah, you know, Craig, the interesting thing to me about the challenger in terms of the mentality of the challenger is they're able to push the team to new limits without necessarily barking orders and telling them what to do. They create space for them, but they still hold them accountable and they challenge them to do their best, right? And so to me, the example of this style, which I love, is from the movie Apollo 13. And Ed Harris played the role of Gene Krantz, right? And Gene Krantz was the flight director for Apollo 13. And if you've seen the movie, of course, he was played by the legendary Ed Harris. And the style of Gene Krantz that Ed really brought forth on camera, which was so awesome, was that of the challenger. So avoid telling someone where to go or what to do. And then instead, just point them in the right direction where they can develop their own ideas. And you may remember a famous scene they right. had to move move air between the two modules and right, exactly. that scene where they have those big boxes of junk. <laughs> exactly. And did he tell them how to do that? Yeah. No. Yeah. He set the challenge. He said, look, there's not enough oxygen to get these guys all the way back home. And that is not acceptable. Failure is not an option. So what do we got? What can we do to increase that time? And he put it on them. And they rose to the occasion. And that's what that captured, right, is, is the ability to inspire the belief and the possibility of reaching goals that seem just impossible, if not improbable. And that is really the spirit of entrepreneurship, is trying to create something that is not even there yet and getting other people to believe that that could actually happen, right? And so, you know, this idea, failure is not an option. This has got to happen. And I know we can do this. So you guys got 10 minutes to figure it out. You know, that makes it seem more probable. And the team start to believe that they can do it. And they start to believe that they can win. And with that belief, it completely unlocks their creativity. And they knew to have the challenge of time. So many opportunities to come up with ideas and implementations, so forth, are missing the element of time. So the problem continues forever. And so there's that leadership of providing the challenge 
but also the expectation. So that was one of the things I loved about it as far as it's not an infinite paycheck. It's not an infinite game that you have boundaries. And, and engineers, in this case, of uh, the Apollo scenario, you know, they love boundaries. They love confinement. They tell me what I'm up against, you know, tell me what my restrictions are. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's an example of how, you know, the right constraints can really challenge people to focus. And you're right. People love to solve problems and giving them the space, they can do amazing things. And sometimes we forget that and we have over responsibility and we think that that translates into us making sure that it gets done. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that completely could tear an otherwise productive team apart. And finally, in bringing this all together, there's this element that Liz brings out called the investor. Mm-hmm. And the investor pulls us all together quite nicely in that clearly defining the ownership that each of the team members have, that they're the key players in many of their skills and what they bring to the team, having them define the ownership as their investment in the team, and then investing in making sure they have all the resources that they need. So that boss element, recognizing all the team members, fortifying them, growing them, perpetuating them, and giving them responsibility and making sure that they have the resources they need and then holding them accountable and getting them to hold each other accountable to each other to deliver the accumulated goal. Yes, it's really true. And I think, you know, the big picture here is that if any of this discussion around having some of these attributes of a tyrant or a diminisher If this is making you uncomfortable, you should pay attention to that. Because again, I think we all go through this journey. This is part of the journey of entrepreneurship and it matters. And if you recognize it, there are things you can do right now to help reset your role and you can change your team and it can happen quickly. And you have the power to unlock all of this and change it yourself. So there's some things you can do, right? And I think the first step, of course, like anything with behavior change is recognizing that maybe you need to change. (laughs) So if we've helped you recognize some things here, good for you. And setting that resolve that you're going to follow through matters a lot. First thing you can do is understand that you're not going to be perfect at everything. And it's okay. So the question is, is what are you great at? What is the one skill that you're really good at that you can maximize? And then what is a weakness you have that you can maybe try to neutralize? You don't have to necessarily turn it into your strength but how can you diminish it a little bit? Let me give you an example of that, right? So I tend to talk a lot. It's one of the reasons why Craig and I started a show is we love to talk. And one of my biggest downfalls as a boss was I would never shut up. And I never gave other people the chance to talk. And what I realized was I was really shutting people down. And it showed up for me in my personal life as well. And so what I tried to challenge myself to do, just one thing, was as I went into meetings with my team, I challenged myself to ask questions and keep my mouth shut and just listen and just let others talk. And by letting them really speak first, I was able to find out amazing things and it made the team so much stronger and they felt heard. And guess what? They came up with a lot of ideas that were way better and in some cases, 180 degrees from the idea that I already had in my mind about the solution. I was focused on the solution without even really understanding the problem. And they helped me see that. 
I'm impressed with your team and your operation. And it's interesting to hear that that just didn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes picking out one thing at a time that you're going to change and really focus on as a leader. Whether we like it or not, when we're in the lead, we're modeling behavior for everyone, everyone we interact with. And we set the tone for what's acceptable. And we have the chance to model good behavior or bad behavior. So if we act like a tyrant, guess what? Our employees are going to act like tyrants too. And the customers feel the end product. Oh, yeah. Instantly. Oh, yeah. You can't BS a customer. It's like (laughs) trying to BS a five-year-old. They see right through you. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. The book Multipliers focuses nicely on the environment of great performance leadership, the, the good sides and the bad sides, and how to recognize them how to focus on improving them and what the model could be and want to work towards on a continuous basis. So it's a great book, Multipliers. Highly recommend it. It's concise and gives you a nice dimension into how it might be even better. And of course, we will have links to the copy of this book in the show notes at businessownersradio.com. And you know what? We have this great partnership with Audible as well. And so You will also find a link where you can get a free audio copy of Multipliers, which is a great way to learn this material. And you can also get along with a 30-day free trial from Audible. It's a great service. I know that I use it all the time in addition to listening podcasts and other things that help me acquire knowledge and more importantly, really think about my own behavior and how I want to be in the world. This episode has been sponsored by Align for Business. That's Aligned, the number four business.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and... Of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.